0: Hi, I'm Manika Raman-Wilms, and you're listening to The Decibel from The Globe and Mail. Most provinces across the country have open schools for in-person learning. But with Omicron raging, we wanted to know, how are parents and teachers feeling about kids being in the classroom? So we put out a call and got a lot of responses. I'm not pleased.
1: I am prepared to keep my children home until I feel that it's safe.
0: I know that teachers worry about students and I hate the position they're put in. With hospital beds filling up, this is not the time for our children to return to in-person learning. We still don't have any take-home rapid test kits, any of those medical grade masks that were promised. It's just really, really difficult. Uh, We have a 14-month-old and a four-year-old at the McGill CPE in Montreal. Uh, We've been super happy with how the center has been handling COVID. I've begun work with other parents on donating respirators to students, teachers, and other staff at my youngest elementary school. Every day we create meaningful activities to incorporate the curriculum um, in an outdoor setting. This is a critical time for children in their development they need to be in school. When it comes to schools and COVID, there's a lot to talk about. So today, we're speaking with Dr. Janine McCready. She's an infectious disease physician at Michael Guerin Hospital in Toronto. And since the beginning of the pandemic, she's consulted with schools to answer COVID questions and help them deal with cases when they happen. She'll walk us through what families who have kids in schools and daycares should be thinking about right now. This is the decibel. Janine, thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Oh, thanks for having me.
0: What do we know about how serious Omicron can be for kids who are under the age of five?
1: thankfully, for most illness with COVID, children generally have very mild illness. But I think what we're seeing, and especially, you know, here in Ontario, and even across Canada, is that when we're seeing very high rates of uh, COVID-19, there are occasionally children that do get very ill from it and end up hospitalized and even end up in the ICU, um, and rarely pass away. And I mean, this week in Ontario, we did have, there were reported two deaths in children under 10. And I think there's about 63 children uh, in in Ontario right now who are hospitalized uh, that have COVID-19 and those are higher rates than we've seen you know at, at any time during the pandemic and those 63 children are all in the under 4 age group you know, we know that when um, women are vaccinated during pregnancy, then that allows them to pass on some antibodies to their babies. That's going to provide babies protection during the period where they're most vulnerable. Uh, and then in addition, if women are vaccinated and they're breastfeeding, that's also going to provide some protection to babies. Plus, if the moms are vaccinated, they're going to be less likely to get COVID and less likely to pass it on.
0: Yeah, that's a, it's an important point to think about the protection that they could potentially get from their mothers then, um, because vaccines aren't available for that younger age group. Uh, under five. So for kids who are in daycare settings, you know, who are not vaccinated, sometimes at that age, it's really hard to wear a mask as well. How safe would you say are, are daycares for these kids right now?
1: Yeah, so I mean that's the, that's the big question. You know, unfortunately with Omicron what we've seen it it is very infectious. Um so when parents are making that decision about whether or not to send their child to daycare, they kind of have to you have to factor in there's a, you know a fairly high likelihood right now given the spread of it in the community that your child will likely be exposed. Um and so, you know, what's your the personal risk within your family, and what's the personal risk if your child getting it, um, and you know how do you how do you balance that with your decisions that you're making in the in the coming weeks, really?
0: And yeah, for for parents who are faced with uh, with that, can be a difficult decision there too. Uh, do you see the I guess the introduction of making those centers a priority for testing? Would that make a significant difference then in terms of the safety of these spaces for kids and, and their families?
1: Yeah, I think it would. I think a lot of families are really struggling right now. So one of the things that we've done here in East Toronto, we've set up a reporting page for rapid antigen tests. So if people are lucky enough to have rapid antigen tests and they don't get, a, they can't get a PCR, they can report their result in, and then myself or one of my colleagues will call them and you know provide them with some advice around what to do. And it does. We know testing. Modif- if you know you're positive, it modifies people's behavior because in talking to a lot of p- most people, even now with the numbers you know through the roof. Um, Most people still think, oh, I just thought I had a cold, but that cold is, you know, almost likely it's it's Omicron and it's COVID, but a lot of people need to see that test to really believe it and then to modify their behavior and and isolate and then notify their contacts.
0: Uh, We've been super happy with how the center has been handling COVID. Each child is in their own classroom and doesn't see kids from other classrooms to try and minimize transmission. There's lots of really open and clear communication from the center about how they're following the public health guidelines and what we're expected to do. And because their communication is so clear with us and so straightforward, it means that we can kind of decide what we want to do with the kids and when uh, the risk is high enough that we want to keep the kids out of the daycare or when we're comfortable sending them. Our principal called every close contact exposure personally before Christmas. That was appreciated. I'm concerned that she will be prevented from doing that when we return in person. I, as a parent of three, uh, 13, 10, and 7, have no concerns about their physical safety while at school. My children are vaccinated as they can be, At this point, they are healthy, and we have done everything we can as a family to ensure their safety. In fact, them going to school is going to improve their health, in our opinion, due to the fact that this pandemic has had a significant impact on their mental health as well as their emotional and social development as as humans. Let's talk a little bit about schools now, because this is the big conversation this week with with kids going back. Uh, And we've seen kids in Alberta and Saskatchewan and B.C. already return to in-person learning. It's only a few days in now, but
1: from what you've heard is, you know, how how is that going and and are people comfortable with that? Some of the things I'm hearing on the ground there is that a lot of the concerns are regarding staffing shortages and absenteeism. So I'm hearing that concern from a lot of parents. Um, I do a regular forum with some of our communities that have been hardest hit with COVID. And a lot of them, you know, last year when schools went back and they had the choice of virtual or online, only about 50% of parents chose to send their kids back into the classroom. Um, and in the higher priority neighborhoods versus in more affluent neighborhoods, you know, more than 80% did. And so I worry that when we see schools reopening next week, we're going to say the same thing, that parents are afraid and keeping their kids home. Um, And and then it's the same communities where, you know, they may not have as ready access to virtual learning because the internet is, you know, there's poor connection in the buildings, they don't have devices. And if there isn't, you know, that extra effort to engage those kids, then they're going to lose out even more. And so, you know, I think that it's going to be very challenging for the families and also for the school boards and the teachers to really navigate that over the next few weeks.
0: I am a vice principal in Greater Victoria School District in BC. And as part of my grade four or five curriculum, I teach outdoor learning program. And every day we go outside for half of the day and we integrate science, literacy, numeracy, social studies arts, and combine all those subjects together and learn about the environment, our history, through our place that we live in. Ontario on Monday confirmed that schools will be reopening for in-person learning uh, on January 17th. Can I ask how you and and your colleagues uh, in Toronto are feeling about that?
1: I think most people, you know, think that schools should have been prioritized the whole time. So we should have, you know, we, we keep hearing the phrase schools should be the, you know, the last to close and the first to open. Um and, and we haven't really seen that prioritized and we haven't seen schools prioritize as much as I think most of us would help would hope they would be. So I think I think most people are are happy schools are opening, but they'd like to see them Opened with maximum, um, you know, measures to to keep COVID out of the schools and to prevent the spread. You know, we know with with Omicron, it is highly infectious. There will be introductions into the classroom, um, and from what we've seen so far, there will be spread within the classroom. So, what can we do to make the make the least amount of reductions and also cause the least amount of harm to you know to, to children, their families, and to teachers?
0: You mentioned uh, to use kind of all the tools that are available to us in order to make these spaces safe. What should we be thinking about then? Like, what are these tools that we need to really be engaging at, at this stage in the
1: game? So, I mean, I think that the vaccines are, you know, we know that that's the foundation and and then the most important thing. So looking at the vaccine rates across the country in the five to 11 year olds, it actually, you know, it kind of makes your heart sink a little bit how low the vaccination rates are in some places. So, I mean, in Alberta, I think it's the lowest at only about 38 percent. And then here in Ontario, only about 45 percent, which is. You know, it, it's not terrible, but it's not great. And that means that, you know, a full 55% of kids are, are not, don't even have one dose uh, to give them that protection in the eligible group. And so I think that really we need all the leaders to get on the same page and really promote and prioritize and, and really demonstrate the safety of these vaccines. My kids are still not eligible, quote-unquote, to get their second dose for their vaccine. Um, They haven't made it easy to book that. There's such a push to have adults vaccinated, but why not children? Just because it might be mild, um, I don't believe that. You know, we've seen up in in the Maritime, some of the provinces are over 70%. And and when you look at how they've promoted the vaccines and they've, you know, had a united voice, you can understand why the rates are higher there. Um, So I think that that, you know, there's a lot of mistrust and a lot of misinformation. And I think that's one area that to get to get everybody, all the leaders on the same page to really to promote that um, vaccination is is huge. Um, And then also for the third doses for for teachers and for childcare workers, I think is important. Um, I mean, knowing what we've been through with this, I think access to testing and actually improving upon testing and not decreasing testing is hugely important. I really hope and expect that there may be some adjustments with the testing. We were in a bad spot with capacity in the province a few weeks ago. But if we've reduced testing in other areas, I think schools and childcare are one area that we really should be prioritizing as a province here, again, here in Ontario, to help to keep schools safe. And I mean, there's other, you know, the general things like making sure people have adequate access to good masks. Obviously, the ventilation in the classrooms is hugely important, um, and I think a big thing that is, you know, the, to some degree, is on all of us is really reducing community exposures. Um, you know, the I, I really hope, I, you know, I nobody likes lockdowns. I think they're terrible. But if it, they we're at a point now where if people have, uh, you know, exposures and interactions outside of school, you will be exposed to COVID. So if we can continue to keep those low and prioritize schools, you know, for once, Uh, I think that gives schools a better shot of, uh, of actually being successful.
0: Each day, students are unmasked during a minimum of three breaks to eat their snack or lunch, all while sitting right beside a fellow student who is also unmasked. Our government has said that we cannot dine in restaurants as the risk is too high to be unmasked in a room full of strangers. So how can we, with good conscience, send our children back to school to do the same thing that our government has locked down? I have kids attending classes at schools within the Calgary Board of Education. I've begun work with other parents on donating respirators to students, teachers, and other staff at my youngest elementary school. So far, we've donated 100 respirators to the adults, and we're about to receive a shipment of over 300 respirators for students. We're fundraising to supply enough for all occupants of that school until the end of the year. But we shouldn't have to rely on charity from individuals and businesses. One of the things that you mentioned there that was really important, actually, is is getting kids vaccinated as well. If if parents are feeling hesitant about getting their, their children vaccinated, I, I, what what would
1: you say to them to,
0: to, to reassure them?
1: I mean, the thing that I find very reassuring is now in the United States, there's been millions of doses given. Um, and the risk of, you know, something that we were worried about, where we thought we expected there'd be a low risk, but there's only been very few, I think 12 total cases of myocarditis in the Five to 11-year-old age group, which amounts to about four cases per million. And so it's extremely low risk in these kids to have any significant side effect. And even those children that did get that, which was rare, almost all of them did well. So, you know, looking at the risks of COVID and the risks to your family on a personal level and to your children versus the risk of the vaccine, I mean, the vaccine is so safe and, you know, it's going to provide you with that protection.
0: And Janine, you have two school-aged children yourself. Uh, how are you feeling, uh, if I can ask, about
1: the situation? And,
0: and are you comfortable sending your kids back into, into school?
1: I, I mean, I think that my children have had the opportunity to have their dose of vaccine. Uh, they're Luckily, they're both in that age group. So I think that after they were able to get that, that was like a huge kind of sigh of relief because even that low risk of infection, I think, makes it lowers the risk of that they're going to have any severe um, adverse outcomes if they do get Covid you're weighing really the chance of them getting covid versus disrupting their education. And so it's challenging and and I think as a parent and a healthcare worker the other side of it is that knowing that I'm going to send them into the school with the current level of plan without any testing, without any notification of parents that there's going to be if there is cases in the school It puts a lot of stress on me as a healthcare worker, because what happens if my children are exposed at school? I don't even know. They're going to come home, uh, and if I continue sending them to school, they're likely going to be exposed and and then get COVID if they have a case in their class. Uh, And then I haven't even had an opportunity to minimize that risk, and if they get it, likely I'll get it, and then I won't be able to come to work. So then I feel like I'm letting, you know, my hospital down, my colleagues down in the time when I'm needed here the most.
0: With schools reopening across Canada to in-person learning now,
1: Can we pretty much expect uh, Omicron numbers to, to go up again then? Unfortunately, I do think we're we're going to see the the cases rise with that again, and we're flying a bit blind, knowing what the you know what the cases are really at in the in the province, and so we're not going to really know uh, unless schools are ending up having to close because they're not having enough um, enough staff or there's or there's a lot of people absent. Uh, so I think it is really important to know you know to to test to know what's happening, at least to understand is the is it increasing or is it actually staying staying the same or actually continuing to decrease, I think that's in a really important thing to know, too, um, because if we do continue to see uh, rising cases in healthcare and in ICUs, you know, we need to understand is school actually contributing to that or is that other transmission? And, and then because if, if, they're, if the government's going to have to make a decision about whether to keep schools open, you want to, again, make that based on, um, on facts, not just on a, a knee-jerk reaction uh, to, to shut them again if, if things are getting worse.
0: So I feel like the precautions
1: at our elementary school have just been very
0: underwhelming and kind of just give off the vibe that the teachers and the school in general are just over it. I mean, we are all over it, right? But we got a note saying that t- to help prevent the spread of the variant, they'll be limiting the number of students in the boot room. So in the morning and in the afternoon when we're picking up and dropping off kids, it's taking a little longer to enter and exit the building. And also it says, we also strongly recommend that everyone wears a mask to help prevent the spread of the virus. Like, okay, um, we're in the millionth year of this pandemic, I got to say, Janine, some of this feels pretty bleak. Uh, (laughs) I mean, I guess just like from your perspective as an infectious disease specialist, but, you know, also as a a parent, um, and we've all been dealing with this for for years now, how do you deal with this uncertainty and fatigue or how do you keep it at bay, maybe?
1: Yeah, I mean, (laughs) I I don't mean to sound so uh, pessimistic. I, I mean, I think that in some... I I think it's tough because in some ways, you know, a a few months ago, people were very optimistic with where we're at. Pediatric vaccines were available. You know, people were were double. Most people had two doses. Boosters were third doses were on the horizon for some people. Um, But, you know, people were planning for like a post COVID world here, you know, where you could return to activities and and feel confident that way. And then Omicron has really shown us that it is extremely infectious. And this virus is, is, you know, it's not done with us yet. And it still can can create uh, new variants that we need to deal with and i mean i think we could talk about vaccine equity on a global scale for for a whole other talk but i think that reinforces that and how important that is um, but i think the thing to be reassured about and to be optimistic about is that these vaccines are amazing and so that again is the most important thing that if we can turn a disease which is potentially life-threatening and and you know deadly into something that is mild like a common cold then that's huge. I think these next few weeks are going to be tough and especially tough on anyone that has um is works in healthcare or that has young children and has to navigate the uncertainty of you know, of what that is going to look like. Um but then, you know, I do I do think things are going to hopefully start to look up and continue to uh to continue to improve from there.
0: Janine, really appreciate you taking the
1: time to speak with us today. Thank you. No problem. Thanks so much for having me. And before you go, I want to
0: invite you to an upcoming event here at The Globe. It's a webcast on Wednesday, January 19th at 1.30pm Eastern called Women, Work and Financial Wellness. It'll be a discussion about how organizations can address pay inequity. Go to tgam.ca slash womenwork for more details and to register. That's it for today. I'm Manika Raman-Wilms. Our producers are Madeline White and Cheryl Sutherland. David Crosby edits the show. Kasia Mihalovich is our senior producer, and Angela Pacenza is our executive editor. Thanks to our guest, Dr. Janine McCready. And a big thanks to all the people who reached out to us on Twitter to share their thoughts, including some of the voices that you heard today. Hi, my name is Sam. My name is Sunny Jan. Daryl Mathers, Christine Fogg, Adrian Malong, Zoe York, Joanna Morelli. Any- oh, this is Heather Marcou from Red Deer, Alberta. I don't know if you need that. Bye. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll talk to you tomorrow.